Welcome back to the thrilling conclusion of Sorry to Bother You. To remind you what's already happened, we've met our primary players, Cassius became a power caller, and the rest of the telemarketers have organized a strike. We pick up with Cash headed to Detroit's art show. This is the point where the dude without a name invites Cash to a big corporate party with fucking Peter Thiel. Steve Lift. Yeah, List. Steve Lift. Steve List. Is it List? Lift, whatever. Army Hammer. The CEO <laughs> yeah. of Army Hammer. Worry Free. <laughs> this is 100% a Peter Thiel. That's why I said that. I was like, this is 100% mm -hmm. a Peter Thiel stand in. Was he PayPal? No, Peter Thiel is Palantir. Okay. You may not have heard of this guy. He's like, I've seen the social network. I've seen, I've heard of Peter Thiel. Okay, yeah. That fucking guy. Cool. Whatever. So Cash is like, well, you know, my girlfriend's got this art exhibit thing, and then I can come after that. Mm -hmm. I do think they've broken up at this point. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the fight with the last fight we talked about, I do think the end of it is Detroit being, hey, we should break up then. Yeah. But Cash still goes to the show anyways. Mm -hmm. And Detroit is using her white voice to sell things, sell her art, yeah. which they didn't spend too much time talking about. Mm -hmm. But I thought was really interesting. I also am pretty sure that her white voice was just Tessa Thompson's real voice. No, no, no. There is someone who's credited as Detroit's white voice. Oh. <laughs> I might be getting the name wrong. I think it was Lily Collins. Oh. Isn't she the person who did, like, uh, Emily in Paris? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, again, I could be getting the name wrong, but you know what? I'll cut searching out. Detroit starts using, like, Australian accent. Sorry. It's Lily James. Oh. oh. I definitely know who that is. I just can't yeah. place her. I think she's a musician. Interesting. Say so Lily. Anyway, so I have a couple of things to say about Detroit's art exhibit. Are we there yet? I have yes. one question yep. before we get there, though. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. That's why I asked. <laughs> Your show. With the Look character, <laughs> Mr. Leaped Out, what is it that you think is being said with him not being given a name? I think it's meant to be that he could be anyone. Like To me, this is... I don't... Okay. I don't know how to analytically put this in a way that is sensitive for me as a white person to say, but this strikes me as like a roots situation mm. where Toby is not this guy's name. Okay. Feel, you, you feel what I'm getting at there? Like he's yeah. being robbed of his actual identity and being okay, forced to yeah. be white or conform to white culture. Interesting. I didn't think about that. Which also makes me noting him as Mr. X in my notes, a little coincidental because that is similar to like Malcolm X. You know, they murdered X and tried to blame it on Islam. Another song, which I think both of you are too young to. <laughs> yeah. Now, for sure you've heard it though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The thing with Mr. What's his face? Yeah. The Mr. Bleep. Did either of you see anything in the fact that he had an eye patch over his left eye and the protest group was named the left eye? No. I mean, this movie doesn't seem like it leaves a lot just to coincidence. So I feel like there's right. something there, but I don't know what it could be. Right. It seems like they were trying to say something and then they just never really like made the connection there. Hmm. Yeah. But the art exhibit. Ah, yes. Yes. Okay. So. Detroit's thing, okay, so it's revealed that Detroit is possibly a first or second generation immigrant from somewhere in Africa. And her art exhibit features the shape of the African continent prominently in basically everything. And the centerpiece of the exhibit is a performance piece in which she is kind of like, she's protesting neocolonialism essentially, and everything that it's done to the African continent. Specifically, one of the big ones is a situation in the Congo and surrounding environs. So for those who are living in blissful ignorance of that situation, 
Cobalt, a common ingredient in batteries for cell phones and other things, exists really like it's it's not very common in the Earth's crust, except for a very large, there's a huge amount of it in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is, you know, fairly, I don't want to say war-torn necessarily, but there are active militia groups that are fighting in the Democratic Republic of Congo because a large portion of it is difficult to control because of the terrain. So the mining of cobalt is something that is, it uses a lot of slave labor and a lot of child labor. It's not done industrially. It's done primarily by hand. And it is very dangerous because cobalt ore typically is combined with arsenic. So there's a lot that the world's thirst for cobalt for batteries is screwing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the demand is coming from outside. And this is a kind of neocolonialism because this demand for this thing that really only the DRC can provide in that quantity has incentivized slave labor and it sends resources that belong to the DRC outside of the DRC, similar to how colonialism exported all of the country's wealth and left it a poor kind of husk. So she has at this exhibit three 20-gallon drums, and they are filled with used shell casings. They're filled with old cell phones and balloons full of goat's blood. And the piece is that she stands up there nearly naked, and she repeats a line from a movie which I don't understand the relevance of it. But while she is being pelted from the audience by cell phones and shell casings and balloons of blood and... Cash doesn't really get it. I get it. And I think it was actually a really powerful and moving piece. But Cash just sees like a crowd of people chucking cell phones at his ex-girlfriend. And I understand why he's upset by that. So any other thoughts? I have a question for the both of you. Mm -hmm. Would you throw things at this performance art piece if you were there? Probably the blood. Same. I don't think I'd throw bullets though. Yeah. I, I, there's something I will throw a water balloon filled, you know, like if it's filled with goats, like, cause I know that's not going to like hurt, hurt, mm-hmm. but anything like hard shelled like that, I don't think I have it in me to chuck something that could potentially cause harm at someone, you know, I'm torn. Cause I wouldn't want to, I don't want to throw things at someone just cause, but also that's like, that is needed to convey the message of the art piece so it's like do you participate to be a participant and help with the artist's intention or do you not throw things which if you really think about it it's kind of the question the piece is asking yeah are you capable of withholding or or not participating in that neo-colonialist action the answer is no no you're not I have a cell phone. That sucks. I don't. Mm-hmm. I know that that cobalt was probably mined by a child slave, and that fucking sucks. But there's no real alternative. On that cheery note, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? I believe the next scene is Cash going to Army Hammer's party yep. at some massive mansion, oh, which is a, any party scene in any movie, essentially, except it is. All white people, except for Cash and Mr. No Name. And things get interesting fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling him Lyft. I know we weren't sure, but I'll just stick yeah. with Lyft. Steve. Like um, Steve, yeah. <laughs> I was talking with Cash because Cash has been so incredibly helpful to Worry Free. And he, in his talk, he draws a distinction between Cash and and the workers kind of dividing, but also still compares cash to animals. Specifically a raccoon. Like we have to like specifically says, Oh, like you're like a raccoon and cash just stands there. Like, are you fucking kidding me guy? I I missed that. He said that. What the fuck? (laughs) It's really, I have never. Well, no, that's not fair. I have, I wanted to do violence on my TV (laughs) when I saw this. (laughs) It, it is just like a series of the most cringe, cringeworthy 
like white ignorance interactions you can think of like it, it, it there's that moment he like jokingly he like pretends to be mad at him for a hot second for calling him mr lift or something like that mm-hmm. and then immediately gives him a hug which was like what the fuck hey oh, oh yeah that's right so so he's so like cash keeps calling him mr lift and he's like you don't have to call me mr lift so he's like steve it's like i never said steve <laughs> i'm just fucking with you <laughs> fuck man yeah super awkward party kind of continues and there's a point where Steve's like talking to a bunch of people that are like around him but not facing him it's a very weird arrangement but then cash it's comes in it, that? it's a harem it, yeah, is, it is literally 100%. him on a couch with 20 women mm-hmm. all looking adoringly super interested in this story he is telling about his hunting trip where right. he mercilessly killed a rhino with an automatic weapon with an automatic weapon and hung the rhino on his wall that they are all sitting across from but cash comes in and steve's sits him down in front so he is a focal point and Mm -hmm. something for people to gawk at it's like ooh, baby this is not comfortable this is already starting in a bad place Yeah, the the black and then now starts the black exploitation, right? Or it's just like, oh, hey, like we've talked about hunting. You grew up in Oakland. Tell me some gangster shit. No, bro, no. And that quickly diverges to, oh, you're black. You can rap. Yeah, go ahead. I used to live in Oakland. Nice. There are okay. I will say there are parts of it that are kind of fucked up. So I, I used to. I, I was in the Coast Guard and I was stationed in uh, Alameda, which is. Uh, just south of Oakland. Mm-hmm. So I would have to, because I didn't have a car, I would have to walk to the Bay Area Rapid Transit, the BART station. The nearest one was Fruitvale Station. And all Rough. of my civil rights history folks, their ears just perked up. Yes, that Fruitvale Station. BART cops killed a black guy that they thought was being um, unruly. And it turns out it's, that it's also a great movie with it is a great a movie. young michael b jordan it's pretty short too mm-hmm. if you have like an hour to kill it's a it's a solid movie don't expect happy endings but it's a solid movie so yeah that was like i used to walk through that neighborhood on foot as a trans woman alone at night and i never once felt unsafe so oakland's not like the really rough parts of oakland are not as bad as people think they are. So you're from Oakland. Tell us about some gangster shit. Fuck out, man. I used to live in Lake Merritt. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> There's a park right next to the lake. Fuck off. But they wear cash down enough that he is going to rap for them. But he doesn't know how to rap. <laughs> he, yeah, he very specifically is like, nah, it doesn't sound good when I do it. Like, I just can't. It's not my thing. Which is a thing. Some people just can't rap. Just like some people can't sing. It is based on the individual. Yeah. Some people can't dance. Some people can't dance. But despite this, Mr. Lith assumes that because he's black, he can do it anyway and is just holding out for him. And gets his whole crowd to chant rap for an uncomfortable amount of time. (laughs) <laughs> seconded only by the discomfort of him actually doing it yes yes and it, it's horrible like the dude he tries to freestyle rap doesn't go well he's clearly uncomfortable the rapping isn't great and so he just reverts to shouting the same phrase over and over again in a rhythmic way until the rest of the crowd starts chanting with him who wants to take that one? I'll take this one. Who has seen the Jackie Robinson biopic? 42. 42. 42. That's the one. It's the same sequence of words that Alan Tudyk's character shouted at Jackie Robinson in that mm. movie. Just, <sighs> yeah, it's, it's a racial slur. That's all we, that's all we need to say about it. Yeah. That fortunately ends at some point. Cause my goodness. And this is the second time I've seen this. So I could have sworn that Mr. X has like some surprisingly cogent words regarding tokenism. Uh, But no, 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 none of that. But 
Cash is invited into a back room, and on the way, he does see that a clip of him getting hit in the head with soda has gone viral, and the white people at the party are laughing at a black man's pain. It's like, ooh, that's not good. There's an interesting thing happening here that I did clock here. So the party devolves into an orgy, as rich people parties are, you know, that's the popular perception. The fact of the matter is that nobody wants to fuck rich people. Like, that's why they're rich. They're not having any sex ever. <laughs> so this has devolved into a full-blown orgy. Like, everyone's fucking. There is a troubling history, of course, of, you know, the idea of black men as over, like, hypersexual. That has led to some extremely gross things that persist in the world of porn to this day, but also, like, kind of pervade the larger social conscience or consciousness yeah we also saw it in the elevator yeah however in this instance cash is the only person in this shot who is not fucking it's an interesting inversion of that trope so this is when he is told some very confusing directions to get to where steve is i don't know drinking the blood of infants or something yeah so steve has a very interesting business proposal for him and cash finds out the money first and then is like completely does not care about the rest of what he has to do and, and cash is still bleeding but <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting like he has gone through this whole party the entire art show and now this whole conversation with clearly like dirty bandage on his head and is still bleeding from the cut from the coke can and just no one acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. it. It's just a part of his existence now. Medical racism. Medical racism. Oh. Yeah. The propensity for white doctors to ignore or downplay the amount of pain that black patients is in is definitely a thing that we're having to grapple with in this current age. Yeah. Or people not being able to afford the doctor. That Though that doesn't happen. really apply to cash at this point in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he is. He is balling. This next part, I'm not usually big on spoiler alerts, but (laughs) it's about to get weird, and it's really a weirdness that you have to experience just by watching instead of listening. So I'm giving this out now. If you want to get to our analysis and thoughts, you can go to timecode 46 minutes, 55 seconds, and pick up from there. For the rest of you who don't mind spoilers... Let's talk about this fucking thing. Oh, boy. So the first thing that Steve does is offers Cash a giant rail of what we're led to believe is all the cocaine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we saw Steve do coke at the beginning of the party. It's not unreasonable to think that this is coke. Yeah, so Cash obliges and it's not clear that cash has ever done coke before and let me just say that's a fuckload of coke for somebody who's never done coke before it's a fuckload of coke for anyone who's yes like it, it is a full spiral around a plate like that is i just for shits and giggles i tried to inhale that entire time it it did not work I don't, oh, I don't, shit. I don't know physically how someone can do that much coke in, in one go. I'm going to be real honest with you guys. Hey, did you notice what was on the plate? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. I don't remember the name, but it no. was a horse. I think it was like Bobo or something. <sighs> that, that sounds right for this fucking movie. So Steve then presents Cash with like the business pitch for his new venture within Worry-Free. Because as it turns out, the workers at Worry-Free are starting to rumble about rights. This shit has to stop immediately because companies can't make money if they're giving their workers the full value of their labor. (laughs) But before he can get to that, Cash is like, I have to go to the bathroom. Like, Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Cash is like... (laughs) the big one (laughs) oh holy shit okay yeah so cash is like all right look i'll watch your video but like i i have to piss so steve's like fucking fine okay it's like 
halfway down this corridor, it's the jade door. He's like, jade door, got it. So he goes in and he goes into this green door, which I would have clocked. It, it's dark in there. I would have clocked this as jade. Mm-hmm. It, it's also a hallway full of green doors. Oh, also true. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. So he's walking through this, what is clearly not a bathroom, by the way. Like, there's a point where you walk in, you go, I don't think I'm in the right place. I mean, there's like shower stalls. It's a sort of bathroom. There's also cages. There's shower stalls eventually. Yeah. He goes through, yeah. like, it's a bunch of piping and just brick walls. Like, it looks like the interior of, like, plumbing, basically. Mm-hmm. Turns the corner, is upset that there's only one stall. Yep. It's and hears a voice thing. from it. <laughs> so he's like, hey, are you coming or going? And the guy responds by saying, can you please help me? He's like, nah, man, I really can't. I just have to pee. And it's at this point that we realize that, like, something fucky is going on. All is not well in old Norway, or in old Denmark, rather. And out bursts Bojack Horseman, but not as a gag. Yeah. (laughs) That's basically what we're dealing with here. Like, if Bojack Horseman worked out and was even sadder. If they decided to make a live-action Bojack Horseman, we would find these guys. (laughs) So these are the Equisapiens and... There are several of them in this room, as it turns out. Jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. Horrifying. Horrifying, and they, they consistently say that, hey, I'm in pain. It's a great jump scare, by the way. Yeah. Like, true, the first time I watched it, truly scared the shit out of me. And well, I, like, I like horror movies. That one was one of the best jump scares I've seen. <laughs> yes, that was, that was fantastic. So, spoiler alert, I knew the Equisapiens were coming. I did not expect that, though. And, you know, it did scare the piss out of Cassius, too. Literally, as it turns out. So he runs out and, like, runs into Steve, who now has a gun. Because why not? And it's like, what were you doing in there? It's like, it's the jade door, right? And he's like, no, that's clearly an olive door. You're not supposed to be in there. But he brings Cash back to his office and said, listen, if you just saw the video, it would explain everything and you wouldn't have freaked out and it's like that's a very corporate mindset yeah so the video is claymation which <laughs> yeah. steve was clear to point out you know a lot of production value went into this steve loves this video he's he's invested hmm. forces cassius to sit down and the video is basically hey Humans, up until this point in existence, have relied on their wits to survive. But now it's time for us to take the next evolutionary step and up our physical, you know, portrait, whatever, whatever the word is I'm looking for here. Basically, we're ready for the next evolution in humans. So we're going to came up with this serum that when injected will basically give you the DNA of a horse. With complete with strength, the stamina, presumably decrease in intelligence, so you won't fight back. The penis, you get one of them. Congratulations. <laughs> Something that Steve is very clear about. Oh, he's so excited about he's it. He's really um, trying to sell that as a perk. He really is. But the moral of the story is, hey, this is the future of labor. We can work harder for longer, get more production out of people. All they got to do is take this serum. And life is great. And they're not human, so human rights are not a concern. Oh, boy. So Cassius is obviously disgusted. And Steve is baffled about, like, why, why he's so yeah. mad. Steve is like, what do you mean? This is amazing. I'm a genius. I cannot believe they figured out, like, DNA manipulation. They're like, let's use it to fuck over labor. Like, I know that's, of course, what would happen. But it's like, that was really your first thought? Yeah, so I actually, I had a fun time. I ended up making a meme about this because I had some guy, like, on Twitter talking to me about transhumanism. And, like, the ideal of transhumanism is, like, you know, augmented, you know, optics and, like, you know, a longer lifespan and like makes everything better. And like, I don't know if you guys played Warframe at all, but like the transhumanism that we're getting under capitalism is not going to be that. It's basically going to be like, here's some 
here's some ratty old hardware that you can replace your broken down muscles with, and you're in debt forever now. Repo. Sorry, oh, Repo yeah. Man. Repo, yeah. Which, by the way, if that's not on the list, it should be. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Repo Man or Repo the Genetic Opera? Repo. Well, either. But Steve is like really trying to reassure Cash. And he says, I didn't do it for no reason. And he's technically right. It's just that the reason he did it was greed. Yeah. He says, Cash, I want you with your oratory abilities to infiltrate this community and preemptively stop any revolution. He wants to pay Cash to be a class trader. Not only that, but he did that by calling him articulate. And also, also, he said, quote, I want you to be an Equisapien MLK. And yeah. that was how he sold the job. So I, f- I feel like that conversation kind of explains itself. We don't need to dive too much into yeah. how fucked up no. that is. Jesus but Christ. on the back end of it, basically, Cash has to take this serum, realizes what's going on. The serum is like a powder that you snort, which... Guess what, guys? He just snorted some mysterious white powder, spazzes out, completely panics, and is just like, oh, did you, was that, what what did you give me, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Lyft says it's cocaine. We don't really know. Yeah, not great. Yeah. So I kind of like, I I was emotionally kind of upset at this point. So I kind of lost the thread of where we go from here. Cash is back at his home. He tries to contact a newspaper so that the story can get out that Worry Free is doing this insane thing. He does an extremely bad job of explaining himself. So I'm like jumping in my notes, or at least my notes jumped in regards to the movie. Cash has become a costume, so that's fun. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. There's there's a lot of things. From from this point in the movie on, it just kind of gets weird. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a number of levels. Most of it's uncomfortable. Lyft tries to... So the one thing I thought was interesting was like, he's like, yeah, so you'll have to turn into a horse person, but we have a way to turn you back. So don't don't panic, dude. And also, when we turn you back, you still get a horse cock. Congratulations. Don't you want... Like, that's the selling point. Mm-hmm. Weird. Super weird. Somehow... Cash's phone got lost, but it took a video that got sent to Detroit. So now there is video evidence of the Equisapiens. So Detroit and Cash are now working together. So that's cool. Yep. And Detroit makes an art piece that it's like paper mache of a horse with a person behind it. And it looks like the person's fucking the horse. It's very weird. But also has a sign that says, worry free is turning people into horses. And there's a really nice thing of, like, depicting art criticism in real time. Yeah. Of, like, what does this mean? So so I've, I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again. Artist intent is not super relevant. So if I were to say to you, Matt, like, nice hair, and, like, you catch in my tone that I'm mocking you, the fact that I'm actually complimenting your hair doesn't matter because you received an insult. Similarly, Matt's hair is lovely, by the way. <laughs> I just flipped it for the camera. Just you didn't see it, it for the camera. You, can, you guys can't see this because you're not <laughs> privy to this session here. But yeah, so <laughs> similarly, when you make a piece of art that is conceptual, you don't necessarily get a say in how people receive it. And this is pretty clearly like most people would receive it as like, Worry-free is fucking the workers. And that's a, I think that's a fair interpretation because worry-free is turning people into horses. It's not the kind of statement that you're meant to take at face value, especially in conceptual art. Mm-hmm. But Cash decides to use his internet fame to try and spread this message. And naturally, it backfires. He goes on like so many different shows, including the I got the shit kicked out of me. And he has to get the shit kicked out of him before they'll show the clip. So when he, and I think that's an interesting, so like he gets beaten. He's like, okay, first, first, basically you got to get jumped and then you have to go through our like shit tank, which Mm -hmm. is literally a a tank full of shit. And when cash finally gets to like show the video, he is just like huddled 
head to toe covered in shit and just kind of like this is horrible and this is what worry free is doing and watch this horrendous clip that i'm gonna show you okay go and that point like he blows up he's everywhere yeah but it ends up helping worry free what naturally yeah Cash talks with Sal and Squeeze, and Squeeze has a quote that really was one of my major takeaways of this movie, which is, if you get shown a problem but have no idea how to control it, then you just decide to get used to the problem. Which, yeah, when that's really helpful to think of when you realize why so much shit happens and nothing ever gets fixed, it seems. Yeah, we just, we are an adaptable people, and that's it has helped us and it is a good thing for the most part, but it is exploitable. And in fact, that's what's at play here is that in the face of an overwhelming horror, like a company creating ab humans in order to skirt labor laws, the brain, like I know as a person that I don't have the capability of handling that problem and my brain won't let me grapple with that. So it just turns off and, like that's that's happening on a cultural level and people are just like this accidentally helps worry free yeah but cash comes up with a plan that's going to stop the picket crossers and i don't know how rooted in reality this is but they say if we can stop them once we win we have we haven't stopped them yet but if we do it one time then i guess we win i don't know how that works homestead iron mill i don't know what that means okay so the Homestead Iron Mill was a subsidiary of um, oh, Rockefeller's kind of business empire. They went mm-hmm. on strike. They got a few sympathetic strikers. And uh, so it was next to a river. Uh, they blocked all land access to it. So Rockefeller hired the Pinkertons to break the strike. They loaded up on barges and performed an amphibious invasion of the facility from the river. And they actually got pushed back by the strikers so there was like this pitched battle and it's it's really really super interesting to read like they went to war with the pinkertons and won they actually the pinkertons had to withdraw but again they're still in business and eventually that mill had to capitulate so like victories are important we remember the name but also i don't know if like forcing defeat onto a a quasi-military thing like you know police strike breakers is really helpful Mm -hmm. matt do you want to talk about this sort of last stand sure something i remembered to lighten the mood a bit uh, before we go back so the thing we didn't talk about after the art show detroit hooks up with squeeze and then like after cash tells detroit about the equisapiens they like panic cash is like hey are my nostrils bigger He's like, no, you look fine. There's a whole, like, is my dick bigger awkward thing? She's like, no, it looks fine to me. Whatever. So they're panicked and upset, and they decide to have sex. And if you put two and two together, like, squeezes thing at the protest, hooks up with Detroit, literally next day sleeps with Cash. Cash probably has the clap. (laughs) Oh, damn. I didn't think about that. Which is like, it's just kind of brushed over, but the timing of them sleeping together is really awkward. And it, it was just kind of uncomfortable. So they go, Cash does his whole thing. They come up with this plan with the help of Sal and Squeeze. And basically, I forget what it is, but they dress up like mannequins that are really, it's not, they're not mannequins, but they're, they're like stone statues. They're stone statues. Thank you and put them in the middle of the crowd. And the way that the soldiers used to break through the protesters was literally just battering ram style, Mm -hmm. beating anyone out of the way, go full steam ahead until you reach the doors. So you dress up the stone statues, the soldiers go flying through, run into stone. Congratulations, protesters win. It's great. They run off. There's this really brief moment where we see Mr. uh, What's it? Mr. No Name. He just is like walks away smiling because he's been one of the crossing the picket lines every time. And he walks away with just kind of like a satisfied smile on his face. Don't really know what that's about, but Cash is super happy. And then all hell breaks loose. Like more soldiers compile in to try to sort things out. 
it becomes a full-on protesters versus police thing. One really small detail that I thought was funny is when the police get more, well, not the police, the security people get more reinforcements. They refer to it as the cavalry, you know, yeah, the horse people. That was something I thought about. There's a lot of like, were the soldiers actually horse people from the get-go kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I think, so I'm just saying like that specific word choice is funny because like they, yeah. the anti-protesters get reinforcements, but the protesters get reinforcements in the Equisapiens. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's, that's right. So the reinforcements haul off Cash, and so Cash is only seeing this through a slit in the paddy wagon that he's shuffled into, but the Equisapiens show up, and they are fucking, they wreck shop. They whip the shit out of these protesters. Like, one of them picks up the armored van, just kind of like moves it back a bit. So yeah, these guys are not fucking about. No, no, they kick ass. Yeah, they break down the door of the wagon, take cash out. There's a moment of like celebration. No, it feels <laughs> like a... this was like an all day thing. Like this, yeah. this was a yeah. battle that went until it was dark out because that's when cash gets pulled out of the van and like he's talking to these Equisapiens. He's heard Equisapiens talk before. But, like, they're so wildly different that when he pulls them out, he's like, thank you. My name is Cassius. He's like, dude, I'm from Oakland. And just kind of, like, walks off. Detroit gets back together with Cash. I'm not sure she should have, but. I don't know. I think, you know, you live. (laughs) I think that was, like, the whole reason why she was, like, that, that goes back to the conversation she had with Squeeze, where it was, like, Cash wasn't radical enough to match Detroit's politics. And then once Cash proved that he was willing to be as radical, she was like, oh, yeah, we can still we can still vibe together. Yeah. Um, Which so it like I I hear what you're saying. I'm not like against it, but I do think that is the root of why that happens kind of thing. I'm willing to go with it because I mean, like, I had to be radicalized before I could, you know, hang out with my current slate of friends. So, like, I get that, like, some people can't hang with somebody who is, like, set against their entire cultural identity. So, no, I I completely understand. I understand it. I was just like, you don't have to go back to a relationship. You can just, like, be like, okay, we're cool now instead of, yeah, Yeah, we're like, jumping all the way back into a romantic relationship seems a little much. Yeah. But that's beside the point. We wrap up the movie. Cash does something really nice for Sal. Oh, he gives him his car. Mm-hmm. His like super bougie like Maserati or something like yeah. that. The telemarketers were able to unionize. Cash is now back in his uncle's garage. But kind of nicer. He brought some of the fritters of his, yeah. you know, his life before yeah. into the garage. And then we find out, oops, it wasn't Coke. Nope. So... One, two, skip a few. We actually do, like, cut scenes here. Like, so we, as soon as, like, Cash is revealed to have these, like, horse nostrils growing onto his face and his face is starting to elongate, we go to credits, briefly. It then flashes to Cash showing up at Steve's house with a bunch of Equisapiens and ringing the doorbell. Like, Steve kind of, like, lumbers over to his, like, the thing where he answers his video camera gate thing. It's like, ah, what? Cash goes, sorry to bother you, motherfucker. And it's he's like fully Equisapien. And that's where the movie ends. Or no, not quite. They bust into the house. And like, as one of them is coming into Steve's room, that's where the movie ends. Yes. Let's out like a, a monstrous howl or growl or something like that. It sounds like a movie depictions of a dinosaur. Like, I think if you played that and the roar from Jurassic Park, it'd probably be pretty similar. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, with that wonderful movie gone through, what do you want to discuss? I feel like I've done a pretty good job of discussing things as they come up. Can we just talk about the ending real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Because I just don't understand the last 30 seconds. I've got you. I know exactly. Okay. I'm there. I got you. Okay. Excellent. So I feel like we I feel like we need to address it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I recently wrote an essay on Queering House about the movie Waiting for the Barbarians. 
and it touches on the concept of queer temporality. Is this a concept that either of you are familiar with? We've talked about it on another episode. Okay, yes. So brief recap. Temporality is like a structure for one's life. So like when I was born, I was basically given the like graduate high school, go to college, get a good job, marry a nice girl, you know, have 3.5 kids in a house and then like, you know, go kind of nuts when I realize my life's half over and I haven't really done anything. And then, you know, work until, you know, I'm no longer useful, spend 20 years fucking around and then die happy surrounded by my loved ones. Obviously, that's not a life path that's available to everyone. And specifically, that's not how queer lives end up working. So the idea, it, it kind of separates the idea of heterotemporality, which is that that first thing, and then queer temporality. So all of that to say that queer temporality is kind of a search for a path forward through their lives. And this kind of touches on the idea of utopia, which works differently for queer people than like the heteronormative conception. Heteronormatively, a utopia is something like a place kind of out of time, static, where things are perfected. And that's just not really a, like a social order where everything is perfected and everyone gets along and there's, no, there's nothing but harmony forever and ever is not something that really registers in the queer mind. So according to Dr. Athena Athanasiou, which is just, mwah, what a name, the idea of queer utopia is more to do with the search for an acceptable temporality. Our utopia lies in the fight for our rights. So, for example, you'll never find a happier trans person than a trans person who is fighting to be accepted and preferably winning. That's why there's so many activist queer people. That's where we are finding our utopia. So how does that relate to the last 30 seconds? They found their utopia in the fight against the people who did this horrible thing to them. And they're winning. And that is not nothing. What are they going to do after they win? There's probably no antidote. But in that moment where they get their, I don't know if revenge is the right word, but they, they gain a level of standing, you know, by fighting this system. In that moment, they are respected, feared, but, you know, that's kind of a respect. In that moment, they are front and center. And that's, I think, kind of what they're looking for. So, real quick. The moment that they are winning, is that the moment that they are like in the streets fighting or the moment where they break into Lyft's house? I think, I feel like kind of yes. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it can be both. Yeah. So I think this is actually an interesting illustration in intersectionality where the strikers, their struggle intersects with the struggle of the Equisapiens. They are separate struggles, but they do have an intersection where they help each other. So we can support the struggle of people of color, for example, bringing into, you know, out of metaphor, we can support the struggle of people of color for equity in our society, but that's not our fight. And there are places where our fight is going to intersect with that of people of color. And that is a place where we, you know, can cooperate in a more active sense. But there is a place where, you know, white people step back is kind of like what I'm getting at here. So I would say that those are two separate victories for two separate groups of people that intersect. I agree with you on all of that. I am wondering why they chose to make Cash an Equisapien at the very, very end, because it was very much like, because I, th I think the only thing I can come up with is like, he had this victory, but the way that it, the way our society works for a lot of people, particularly of color is, here's this victory, yank the carpet out from under them and go, psych, we're going backwards, which is frustrating for everyone involved. But I, I get why they, why they chose it, why they chose to do that. I think it really underscores the earlier uncertainty when he wasn't sure if it was this transformation agent or if it was just cocaine. Mm -hmm. That like, no, he got tricked. They were always going to do this whether he agreed or not. Yeah. One thing I wanted to discuss is this movie has a lot of layers. Some are subtle, some are not. A lot are not, and that's fine. But it does a really interesting thing of depicting things in a different form and exaggerated. 
So earlier you talked about code switching with Danny Glover. Mm. And that's really what the white voice is. It's a depiction of code switching. I'm going to tell you a story. And because of, you know, because I respect her confidentiality, I'm going to make it very vague. So I was at an event with my boss and it was a couple of days event. And I'd worked with my boss for three or four years at this point. And she always struck me as like, she spoke like the way I do. And, and like, it didn't occur to me because this is just the way I speak, that that was not a natural affect for her until there was a happy hour afterwards and she had a couple of drinks and felt comfortable unswitching in front of me. And like, I heard like how she actually talks and it, it's kind of a, a like, I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, awesome and, and really interesting because I'd never heard her talk like that. I'm like, oh shit, that is your real voice. Well, okay, fair enough. But this is a thing that a lot of, I don't know a black person who doesn't do this. It makes white people more comfortable when you talk to them in white voice. That being said, there's many forms of code switching. The most obvious is non-white people trying to not draw attention to themselves in white company. I don't know exactly. But also the way you talk outside of a professional setting versus in a professional setting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Family versus friends. Yeah. Like you, you, there's a lot of examples in everyday life, you know, like your phone voice, like <laughs> anytime you're talking on the phone versus to, to like a stranger versus your podcast voice, your podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of the above. The other depiction that got like changed and then taken to an extreme was the horse transformation is Literal dehumanization of labor. Yeah, I had that written down too. The most obvious example is a person of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I meant to talk about it earlier and then I kind of forgot. But a couple points throughout, we see that although Cash is now in a higher financial standing than his friends, he's still a worker. He does not control the means of production. He is still exploited. Yes, people who say they are capitalists are wrong. Unless they actually like own the stuff that makes a thing, you're not a capitalist, you're a bootlicker. And right. you have sympathy for the person who is exploiting you. And I, I, I don't know how to... The, the struggle of my life is like pointing this out to people who like are... who claim they're capitalists. I'm like, but you... Don't own anything. Where's your capital? You don't, you don't own your car, much yeah. less a fucking machine that makes a what's-it. But in this movie, it's very curious because the non-power callers think that Cash is exploiting them, which isn't quite right. But also, no. Cash does not recognize that he is also still being exploited. I've been saying this for years, and nobody's listening to me. The middle class is not really a thing. It's an artificial division meant to keep the lower working class and the uh, higher earning upper class in conflict with each other so we don't rise up and activity redacted rich people. <laughs> that moment, I think that you're talking about, when Cash first crosses the picket lines, he gets a lot of shit from everyone involved. And I wrote this down. He, as a like retort, he says, look, guys, like I'm making money now. My success has nothing to do with you. Like, I will support you, but I'll support you from the bench, which I thought was a very interesting, like, how can you, it, it's just like, you can't do the two things, right? Like, you can't support, you can't willingly be a part of the system that is keeping your friends from, like, living, basically, and still be on their team. You have to make a choice, an active choice to turn away from that. I wanted to bring up a quote by Frederick Douglass that is relevant to the discussion that we're having. Experience teaches us that there may be a slavery of wages only a little less galling and crushing in its effects than chattel slavery, and that this slavery of wages must go down with the other. So that was in like 1883. This is not new. The fact that, you know, and it's not for nothing that like when you say wage slavery, people look at you like, I'm a slave owner. Mm -hmm. But you are, though. 
Mm -hmm. So using the term slavery to describe that is something that capitalists, actual capitalists, people who own shit can use as a thing that they can take offense at. And for some reason, their white feelings, they're almost all white, their white feelings trump the actual harm done to wage slaves. So that's another thing that's kind of relevant to this movie. (laughs) One thing this movie also explores a little bit is different approaches to affecting change. Cash kind of thinks he can affect it from within. Squeeze takes a organized approach that's still generally more accepted than what Detroit does, which is way more radical and arguably less effective, but that's... Organized violence versus organized nonviolence is an interesting discussion that we will not live long enough to have in its entirety. So, and yeah. certainly we don't have the time. We don't have the time. No. Are we good with discussion? Do we have anything more we want to cover? I mean, Sophia, didn't you want to mention something about the gold? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, last thing, and then we're on to ratings. The gold. So similar to the delineation of the working class into middle class and lower class, that's sort of a, a, a cookie that, that the capitalists throw at us to keep us distracted. Another thing is literal shiny things. <laughs> so you hear a lot, especially from folks who are on like state aid, you hear conservatives specifically complaining about like, oh, welfare queens, you know, eating steak that they got on food stamps. And like, okay, first off, fuck you. Everybody deserves like a little bit of luxury in their lives. And this is something that you see when you look into the lives of like low wealth people. There are a couple of little things that they treat themselves to now and again. And that is fine. In fact, that makes their lives tolerable. So like for me, I like clothes that look nice, that that look like they might be expensive, but typically are not. So I rarely present myself as somebody who is struggling financially. So for Terry Crews' character, it's this gold crucifix that has his insulin in it. And, you know, for the people who are, it's kind of a, a representation of like a little bit of the high life. And, you know, maybe that's enough. And it keeps you from seeking a redistribution in any meaningful sense. Yes. Well worded. Thank you. (laughs) Before we get to our ratings, general thoughts, things you wanted to say that weren't necessarily heavy discussion analysis. I fucking love this movie. So good. I got three things real quick. Cash is a doomer. Just got to say that. Yeah. Yeah. This movie has really good, both music and general sound design, as well as visual style. It's so, such a delight to see in here. And also, it's very well acted. I don't think Lakeith Stanfield is capable of turning in like a bad performance. I'm going to be real honest. I just think he kills everything that he does, especially when he finds roles that fit who he is. Mm-hmm. Like this one, Darius from Atlanta. Like in, Even uh, Knives Out, where he was not a focus at all. Right. Knives Out or Judas and the Black Messiah phenomenal I've been meaning all to. around dude kills everything he does mm-hmm. so so ratings on enjoyability what do you say matt you're a guest i think i think it's a it's a solid solid eight i think for me just on sheer enjoyment factor like definitely this is the second time i've watched it mm-hmm. enjoyed it just as much as the first time through so I'd give it an eight so with this rating i'm typically not very stingy i'm going to say this was i don't want to give it a solid 10 Because I did suffer a lot of discomfort, you know, relating to my own personal, (laughs) my own personal hell world that I've, I've lived through. So I'd say probably about a nine and a half. And I was going to say a nine, you know, the only thing keeping it from higher is I feel like I could not watch this movie over and over again. Mm. Yeah. Just because of the nature of it. But now on obscurity, Matt, I know you know, but one is a Best Picture nominee, and 10 is a literal student film. I think it's like a three or a four. I Because I don't think it was like nominated, but I remember it being a big part of the discussions around award season when it came out. I think probably, so for this one, I am typically a little stingier. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a five, just because like while, yeah, it was kind of up for discussion, 
during award season. I don't recall it winning anything. I also, you know, it kind of fell off the radar except for like lefty video essayist Twitter or uh, <laughs> YouTube rather, wherein it is extremely well regarded, but you know, it's not built for mass appeal. Mm-hmm. I had planned on saying a five, but I'm bringing it down to a four just because, yeah, it did. People knew about it, but I also remember when I saw the preview, I was like, oh, I think I should see that. And then I just never did. So like kind of not super obscure, but like also a lot of people kind of brushed past it. Hmm. But as we wrap up our episode, we end with our pop culture pop outs, a thing we've been interested in as of late. Matt, you are our guest. Would you like to start? So aside from the like mountains of amazing music coming out right now, which people should like, if you haven't listened to Billie Eilish, listen to Billie Eilish. There's a band called Jungle that is doing great things. Silk Sonic came out with a new, is you know, kills everything they do. But aside from the amazing music, there is a, a YouTube channel and his name is Alex Myers. And all he does is watch like Disney Channel shows, DCOMs, CW shows, and makes these like 12 minute videos based on purely the first episode or the entire movie and just goes in on them. It's hilarious because it's not like there are certain channels that just hate on it and it's like, this is horrible. This is so bad. This is whatever. And it his channel comes off as someone who is older who loved the shows growing up and is now just realizing how ridiculous everything was i think it's great he like draws animations in it too so it's part clips part his animations and reactions it, i i think he's hilarious i've watched a ton of his videos recently so give him a check out that's really cool sophia what do you got i have okay so one of the people i work with is a recording artist so her name is Jessica Smucker, and she has recently released a new single called Dinosaurs. And it is, so her her style is, it's kind of an electro folk thing, or like a synth folk almost. And the song is like kind of dark and broody. And like, if you've been watching what's been happening in, in world events, especially from a leftist veteran's perspective, you can probably understand why we're all kind of feeling that way right now. And it's got a kind of like hope hidden in it, but it's beautifully grim is how I would describe it. And I will link her new single and her YouTube channel. We got for I had planned on talking about a TV show, but then just a few days ago, Hades released a console. Nice. And I've been hey. playing it nonstop. It's so good. <laughs> this is from a little, it's a smaller studio called Supergiant Games. They've released three games before this that are very critically acclaimed. People love them. And then this one got like a lot of even award show attention for, I don't pay too much attention to video game awards, but I knew that this made waves. And I loved greek mythology as a kid so this has been an absolute delight to play awesome nice sophia where can people find you online i am at h-a-m-i-l-c-a-r-e-n-i-n-a on twitter i am at sophia h underscore m-d-t on instagram don't find me on facebook i am for fucking some reason still on quora a decision i'm regretting more and more every single day (laughs) <laughs> Sophia Helena Maestatrik there. Same on Medium. On Medium, I have two projects going. I have Queering House, which is essentially a republishing of my Quora work under the same space title, where I do queer analyses of straight movies. I also have the fifth columnist on Medium, which is my rogue political thoughts, which are not endorsed by or indicative of those of my employer. And what else am I doing? I have something else going. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on uh, uh, opening another space for just like Jewish thoughts that cross through my mind. Like I had a thing about uh, Tangled Tzitzit on a talus and like how that relates to troubling parts of the Torah. 
that's me. <laughs> Kyle, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I am on Tumblr under Hebrew Hammer. And I just recently opened a Letterboxd account also under Hebrew Hammer. Moving up, moving up. Yeah. If you want to find Matt, you will have to find him IRL. Good luck. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> At the bottom of our show notes, there is a link to leave a voice message if you'd like to contribute to our discussion or leave your own pop culture pop out. But in order to contribute, Sophia, what movie are we watching next time? Next time we are watching the movie Down and Derby. I am so excited. I am not. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening and goodbye. This has been three white people way out of their lane. <laughs> Trying not to piss anyone off. <laughs>